Please remain standing as you're able for the reading of today's scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will, will not be put to shame. To you, then, who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning with you. Thank you, Mason, for reading the scripture and happy birthday to you and your twin. That's exciting. I told him he's turning 22. I was like, that's the true year of adulthood because you graduate college and you have to start real life. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) All right, this morning I've got a pop quiz to get us started. If you look up at our slides this morning, call out if you know who this person is. That's right, Martin Luther King Jr. Next one. Mother Teresa, that's right. And the next one is a little tricky, but a very famous mom. Mary, mother of Jesus, that's right. 100% for y'all this morning. These are all pretty famous people that we recognize because of their ministries for Christ. Well, our series that we're kicking off this morning is called Core Values. We'll be exploring the core values of our church. And I'm preaching this morning on the ministry of all believers from 1 Peter chapter 2. And when I think about great ministers throughout history, I often think of famous people like these that we would recognize in Brentwood United Methodist Church, even though we've never met them, in 2018. But when I read this passage for this morning, there was something that really stuck out to me. God has chosen and called precious, not just the MLK and Mother Teresa's of our days, but all people that are willing to follow Christ. We are called worthy to be ministers of Christ no matter how qualified or unqualified we may feel. In fact, if you're often like me, I often find myself in this space of denying that I am worthy of God's call and just seeing all the ways that I'm messing up or don't know enough or have enough or simply can't do enough. You might can relate. 
Maybe you've signed up for a Bible study and every Tuesday night when it meets, you are running in frazzled from sitting in traffic 10 minutes late again. You barely finish the reading and when you sit down to share your thoughts and feelings on the passage, you don't see what's valuable in your own experience, your own mind, your own heart. You just hear what sounds like the most profound of understandings of the man sitting beside you that you think makes you sound a little dumb or elementary. Or you just hear the woman who feels called to go serve on the mission trip to South Africa to serve with kids and families who live in shanty towns. And while all that comes to your mind is that you have never left the country. And then there was that other time at work the other day where the, your friend asked you about the church you attend and you quickly said, Brentwood United Methodist Church. He said, okay, well, I'm really thinking about going to church, but you know, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? And you were so scared you might mess up and explain Christianity all wrong that you offered a quick apology and said that you could hear your phone ringing, you had to go. In such situations, it's easy to freeze in fear. To think of all the reasons you might mess up or sound silly or contrived and essentially just give up. To hear instead the words that we hear this morning, you are worthy, you are chosen, you are precious. To hear in your head that you don't have time or you aren't well read enough or insightful enough or missional enough. To feel like you just aren't enough. But let me tell you, That's not what Peter is saying to us. It is not what Christ is saying to us. Christ is saying you are worthy, you are called. It might not be to MLK or Mother Teresa type work or to a trip in Haiti or South Africa. You might not be called to ordain ministry, find yourself in a seminary classroom one day. But what Peter writes in this scripture is that you are most certainly worthy, made worthy, and called to be a minister of Christ through Christ's grace. You are called to offer what you have to the world and try to grow into that call. You might can offer the vulnerability to admit that your marriage isn't perfect. That motherhood is exhausting that you lost your job and can't sleep at night wondering how you're going to pay the mortgage. It might be that you can offer admitting that you have read Romans over and over again, or maybe just once, and it still doesn't make sense. But you have lots of questions you can offer the group. It might be that you can offer construction work or letter writing or job connections or tons of energy to run around with sixth graders. What Peter is saying to a group of ordinary, run-of-the-mill kind of Christians in this passage is that even if the world is tossing you aside, even if the world is saying you aren't good enough, Christ has made you worthy, precious. He has redeemed you, gifted you, and wants you to offer these gifts and passions to the world. 
In the past few weeks, as I have been watching the news, I've been utterly dumbfounded by the separation of immigrant families at the border of the U.S. and Mexico. And I don't mean in a political sense. I don't mean to start a political argument. Trust me, we have plenty of those. But I mean I have been reading the stories, seeing the pictures like this one, hearing the literal cries of children, and had absolutely no idea what to do as a Christian. I have felt totally and utterly helpless. The same thing happens when I see the refugee crisis in the Middle East, or the vast numbers of people literally starving to death in Africa. Shoot, I even feel helpless when I think of the struggling families in Napier homes in South Nashville, or hear of a work colleague who has been diagnosed with cancer. The easy thing for me to do, for us to do, in the midst of these crises is to turn off the TV, to put down the news, toss it in the recycling bin, to close my ears and eyes to the suffering of the world and freeze because I feel like whatever God has gifted me with, whatever I have to offer, even if it's sometimes as simple as a prayer, won't make a difference. The easy thing to do is to do nothing, to offer nothing. And let me guarantee you that whatever you have, quote unquote, or can offer or give, will probably never be perfect enough, especially in the worldly sense that we define perfection. This feeling of fear that stops us from offering what we have, whether it be years of well-researched theology or talking about how parenthood has deepened our understanding of God. Thinking and telling ourselves that we aren't good enough is an evil. It is an evil that is contrary to the gospel where Jesus, who has made us whole, says in Matthew 10, fear not, you are more value than all of the sparrows that God has created in the sky. I was reading a book the other day by Brene Brown called Daring Greatly. She's one of my favorite authors. You can check it out. In it, she quotes Theodore Roosevelt. He says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man or the woman who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But the credit belongs to him or her who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails daring greatly. What strikes me the most of this quote is the guarantee that when we try, when we offer what we have, we will undoubtedly err. 
come short again and again, face error and shortcoming, and even sometimes utterly fail. Now, Roosevelt wasn't speaking as a Christian, but I think the same is true of our Christian walk. We are called to offer ourselves, to dare to offer ourselves greatly to the ministry of Christ because we are not... To tell, and not to tell ourselves anything different would be a lie. To tell ourselves we aren't good enough because we are not smart enough or too busy or a woman or disabled or the wrong skin color or have the wrong accent or went to the wrong school or have the wrong job or don't make enough money or whatever it is that we tell ourselves. To tell ourselves that we aren't good enough is to deny the very promise of Scripture that God has created us in God's image and called us good. It is to deny the spirit of Christ working and living in each one of us each and every day. Remember this dude from earlier? Martin Luther King Jr. We all know him now in 2018, but I was reading a book about the church he served in Montgomery, Alabama called Dexter Avenue Baptist Church where he started his work in the civil rights movement. Dr. Reverend King wasn't particularly born into anything special. His dad was a poor pastor. King Jr. lived a pretty normal, basic life. He ended up going to college a bit early, mostly because young men were going off to war. He was smart, but again, nothing particularly out of the ordinary. He didn't end up dedicating himself to his studies, didn't know exactly what he wanted to do with his life, certainly didn't feel a call to social justice or pastorhood. He just kept on following his passions and exploring the opportunities that arose. He struggled with his faith, skeptical of the faith that his father had taught him. But he ended up going to Boston to get his PhD And at some point, he did fill a call into ordained ministry as a pastor. When he arrived to the part of his doctoral process where you get to be off campus a bit and work on your dissertation, he started looking for a church to serve, a congregation to serve that would be a pretty easy, quiet gig so he could spend a lot of time on his dissertation, pretty much like any of us would. He applied to some jobs in Chattanooga, Boston, Montgomery, Atlanta, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, among others, offered him a position. Dexter was rumored to be a bit of a dysfunctional church, really opinionated lay people. (laughs) Finances weren't that great, but it wasn't supposed to be hard. It wasn't very big or, you know, that sort of thing. So Dr. King and his wife sat down and started weighing out the pros and the cons of moving to Montgomery. A pretty ordinary list. Boston, where they lived, had a better social life, more cultural opportunities. They felt more comfortable there. Montgomery, though, was close to family. So there he ended up finding himself. In his first sermon, he laid out the vision for the church which mostly revolved around increasing financial stability and getting everyone in Bible study small groups. There was little mention of the civil rights movement or their involvement in it. But slowly and surely, 
King was asked to attend a couple of meetings around the movement to preach at this and that event. And slowly, but surely, he grew into the key leader of the civil rights movement who is still easily recognized today. Now, I don't tell this whole story just for the heck of it. I tell it because it is absolutely fascinating to me. King wasn't some super duper kid who was preaching just unbelievable sermons when he was six years old. He wasn't some man who dreamed as a child that he would one day liberate all the African-Americans in the United States from oppression. He was just an ordinary guy who slowly but surely offered what he had to the world for the betterment of the world, for the ministry of Christ. Just an ordinary human that dared greatly and tried to accept and offer what Christ had gifted him with. The opportunity of college, a job, some meetings that sounded interesting. And look what became of him when he offered what he had. The same is true of Mother Teresa, just an unknown, not particularly special middle-class Albanian family And a little girl who felt called to love Christ, then felt called to be a nun, then felt called to go to Calcutta. And Mother Mary of Jesus, she might be the most ordinary of them all. From the wrong side of the tracks, so they say, that Nazareth place, a teenager, unmarried, mom, and birth of a savior. So that's it, folks. We might not be called to one solo hero act. In fact, I'm pretty sure we aren't. You might look at yourself and think you have nothing to offer Christ. But as that old saying goes by Margaret Mead, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens, she says, I say Christians empowered by the Spirit, can change the world. Indeed, It is the only thing that ever has. Small acts of love and compassion offered over and over again can create a movement that can completely transform a community, a country, a world. Just ask Ingrid McIntyre, director of Open Table Nashville, who with her team is building a 22 home micro village at Glencliff UMC here in Nashville to help people who are homeless and the most medically vulnerable get back on their feet. Ordinary girl from Tennessee. Or Brian Hicks, I'm sure you've heard his name, who so helped transform the Woodbine neighborhood in South Nashville with his team at Harvest Hands that neighbors called and angrily blamed him for Nashville becoming so popular. He was just a teenage rebel from Kentucky. Or our own officer, Sam Beatty, who my friends still remember as their dare officer in seventh grade, who was always smiling and willing to offer what he had to his class. And who, as I stood with him in the narthex this week at VBS, had kid after kid after kid coming up and telling him hi, because they felt that same care and love emanating from him. 
Or there's all the countless and unnamed VBS teachers and volunteers this week. Or the unnamed countless folks who volunteer in our Stephen ministry, our flower ministry, room in the inn, Christmas in July, our Uganda trip. It goes on and on. And I'll say it again. We won't be perfect. Neither was MLK or Mother Teresa or Mary. People still talk about their mess ups today. But people also talk about and witness the profound impact that their ministry had on the world. The ministry of all believers is both empowerment that Christ offers to each and every one of you gathered here. Christ has made you enough. Christ has made you worthy. Christ has made you precious in his sight to carry out his good works. And the ministry of all believers also means that you are called to indeed be a minister, to take your faith outside of these walls, as small or as big or confusing or joy-filled as that faith is, we are called as ministers to go out and share Christ's love with the world, one person, one moment at a time. No matter how little or how much we think we have to offer, God's grace and love needs to be shared. May it be so. Amen.